morning. You probably noticed this morning uh, an extreme lineup change. <laughs> well, uh, things happen, life happens, as, as we always say, and Tony had uh, close contact with someone with COVID, and even though we hadn't gotten any positive tests on him, the elders made a decision with BBS starting tomorrow that we did not want him at the building. And uh, on top of that, Jay Lee um, had just gotten back from Georgia, and he said he had the sniffles. And, you know, wives are very good at taking care of us. She said, honey, why don't you take that test? You got it in the closet. So he took the test, and he tested positive, so he's not here. So so yesterday afternoon, about 3 o'clock, James was starting to stress a little bit, but not too much. I had a few extra gray hairs popping in there, and then I remember two brothers in Christ that I knew I could depend on and no problem at all. I contacted our brother uh, Danielle Moore and our brother Russ, and and just like troopers, they popped in there, and Russ said, wherever you want me, and so I said, okay, 6 p.m., and he said, I got it. Then Danny... Uh, chimed in later and I let him know that we needed the 9 a.m. and Danny said I got it. So I want to thank those men for and I want to thank God for those men as well for them stepping forth and I know others can do it as well. It's just in the crunch of the the moment yesterday the last minute like that I I don't do that for everybody but there are people that I know that I can call on at short notices like that and I know that they will be be able to help if they possibly can so we thank them for that. So today Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our worship services today. Uh, Whether you're here in line or on person, we thank you all so much for being here. This lesson that we will bring forth today will examine the actual spiritual work necessary in order to, to be restored to a right mind and spirit after serious fall, a serious fall into sinfulness. Would you join me in prayer, please? Our blessed Heavenly Father, we are so very thankful, Father, the avenue that you've given us, Father, to to redeem ourselves once we have fallen away from you because of sin. Father, we thank you for giving us a process by which, Father, we if we follow it and truly adhere to it, Father, we know that you will be there. You will be there at the end of the process, Father, and actually guiding us through the process, Father, to help us achieve again that right relationship with you. And Father, we are so very sorrowful, Father, when we stop trusting in you and depending on you like we know we should. We are so sorry, Father, when we don't go about realizing our shortcomings in the action, Father. And and we're definitely sorry, Father, when we take so long to repent. But Father, we know that restitution has to be made. And because of our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus, that has been done. And Father, because of our sincerity of heart, there's truly a restoration that will take place. Father, we ask you be with us today as we are conducting this worship service, Father, that that as you are uh, watching us, Father, and taking mind of us, Father, that everything that we do is bringing glory, honor, and praise unto you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for hearing our prayer at this time. These things we pray and thank you for in Christ Jesus' most holy name. Amen and amen. While preaching at Nikiski, we were involved with a very serious prison ministry. I had worked closely with uh, Dave Olson and, and Margaret Watson here in Anchorage prior to starting that work there. And from what I learned from working with them, we found that our task was helping those people come out of that cycle of crime and imprisonment 
with the mindset of helping them cultivate their spiritual lives. And our mindset in that was that if they have a spiritual life, if if they have faith, they won't fall back into the old habits. They won't fall back into the old ways with the old people and find themselves in prison again. What we realized is this, and we wanted them to realize it as well. If there is no effort at rehabilitation, there will surely be a falling back into the old ways. Now, when we think about this principle that I just went through, this principle is not only a key in the reformation or the reform of people who have a pattern of criminal history in their lives, but believe it or not, it is also true in the lives of each and every one of us who've never been there before, but we deal with the pattern of sin in our own lives. And so for us as well, we can say this, if there is no effort at rehabilitation from sins, those sins that we are committing, then we too are doomed to repeat these over and over again. And of course, we will endure the suffering and sorrow that goes along with it. The Bible gives many examples of people sinning repeatedly against God, and it also shows us what happens to them. When we look at, we're going to be dealing in First Chronicles uh, today. We're going to be in, I'm going to talk a little right now about First Chronicles 21, and then we're going to be reading in First Chronicles 18, and we're going to come back to First Chronicles 21. But in First Chronicles 21, we have an episode where David not only sins, but David is also punished. But we have a description of the rehabilitation process as well that he went through so that he could make his life better and he can be a better and wiser man because of it. And I say this, perhaps as we go about the business of reviewing this passage, we can learn not only how to deal with our own sins on a day-to-day basis, but also how to stop repeating those things that we we dearly would love to eliminate from our lives. So as we look at the background here, I want to take us first to uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 18, verses 1 through 3. 1 Chronicles chapter 18, verses 1 through 3. There the Bible reads, hmm. Okay, if I'm going to look that far, I better look here because I can't see that far with my glasses on. Now after this, it came about that David defeated the Philistines and subdued them and took Gath and its towns from the hand of the Philistines. He defeated Moab and the Moabites became servants to David, bringing tribute. David also defeated Hadadezer, king of Zobah, as far as Hamath, and he went to establish his rule to the Euphrates River. So what we find is after David ascended to the throne, he pursued the goal of establishing his borders, the borders that God had already put in place. And it started with the great river Euphrates that was to the north. Verses 14 through 17. So David reigned over all Israel, and he administered justice and righteousness for all his people. Joab, the son of Jeruah, was over the army, and Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahino, Ahilo, was recorder. 
and Zadok, the son of Ahitu, and Abimelech, the son of Abiatar, were priests, and Shepshah was secretary, and Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was over the Sherathites and Sherathites and the Pelathites, and the sons of David were chiefs of the at the king's side. So what we see here when we look at this kingdom, what we find a kingdom here, we find a kingdom that is that is at peace. We find a kingdom that is prospering. We find a kingdom that is well organized and functioning very well, very smoothly, you might say, under the various officials that they had. But all of this was happening underneath the sovereignty of God. So we go to chapter 21, verses 1 through 7. Now we see where David's problem kicks in where David's sin kicks in. The Bible there reads that First Chronicles 21, starting at verse 1, didn't Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. So David said to Joab and to the princes of the people, go number Israel from Beersheba even to Dan and bring me word that I may know their number. Job said, Joab rather said, may the Lord add to his people a hundred times as many as they are. But my Lord, the king, are they not all my Lord's servants? Why does my Lord seek this thing? Why should he be a cause of guilt to Israel? Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab. Therefore Joab departed and went throughout all Israel and came to Jerusalem. Joab gave the number of the census of all the people to David. And all Israel were 1,100,000 men who drew the sword. And Judah was 470,000 men who drew the sword. But he did not number Levi and Benjamin among them. For the king's command was abhorrent to Joab. God was displeased with this thing, so he struck Israel. You know, nothing lasts forever. Nothing. And when good things, when the good thing is happening, you can be sure that Satan has a task. You can be sure, we can be sure that Satan will oppose it. Satan will try to destroy it. In this situation, Satan successfully tempts David into ordering the senses of the people now, at that time, I should say. Now, there's nothing wrong in counting the population. When we think about it, it had been done over the years before when they were preparing for war, and we can see this in Numbers for, uh, chapter 24. However, in a time of peace, a census for this king could only serve certain purposes, for instance, to prepare for taxing the people or to establish a system for forced labor or to satisfy the king's ego concerning the strength of his nation and his army. Now, when we think about Israel, in this nation, in that nation, God provided all that they need. God forbade the forced enslavement of fellow Jews and God was receiving glory for this. They were his people. These people belonged to God. They did not belong to the kings. God is the only one who knew their number. He was the only one who needed to know their number. That this action was wrong 
really, we, it's seen in the fact that the resistance that David received from Joab, when his, his chief officer. And not only does he, does he tell the king is wrong, he also warns him against doing this. He warns him of the consequences that would come about as he go about doing this. And he even tried his best to sabotage it by not counting the tribe of Levi and Benjamin. But once the sin had been accomplished, God revealed the sin. But not only that, God showed his displeasure by bringing a plague upon Israel. If the sin was to number the people, then the punishment then would be to reduce the number through sickness or through death or in or through death. In the balance of this chapter, chapter 21, we see how David deals with his sin and we see the process of rehabilitation that he goes through that would eventually enable him to finish his reign faithfully and effectively serving the Lord. So we get to 1 Chronicles 21, starting at verse 8. And what we're going to see is verses 8 through 30. We are going to see the four R's of rehabilitation that we are talking about here. So then, in the account of this same story that we read in 2 Samuel, we read that David felt guilty about what was happening to the nation because of what he had done. We can read about this in 2 Samuel 24 at verse 10. This guilt led him to the first step in the rehabilitation process, which is realization, his realization. At First Chronicles 21, at verse 8, the Bible reads, David said to God, I have sinned greatly in that I have done this thing. But now, please take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. Note that the first thing that David does, the first thing that he does after his troubled conscience moves him to examine his conduct is to acknowledge his wrongdoing. He came to a realization of what he had done. He not only acknowledges that what he has done is wrong and without it, he didn't offer any excuses. He didn't try to water it down any. He also takes full responsibility for it. And he has missed the foolishness of what he has done and he admits it to God. What we have here is a king who has brought calamity upon his people. The same people who's responsible for protecting, he's causing them harm and hurt. Realization is usually the hardest part of rehabilitation. Why is that? Because we have to recognize what it is we have done. We have to admit our own faults and we also have to admit to the fact that we need to make a change. This, so the first R is realization. The second R is repentance. First Chronicles 21, verses 9 through 14. It's not on the slide, so please turn in your Bibles if you want to read along with me. First Chronicles 21, starting at verse 9. There the Bible reads, The Lord spoke to Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and speak to David saying, Thus says the Lord, I offer you three things. Choose for yourself one of them, which I will do to you. So Gad came to David and said to him, Thus says the Lord, 
take for yourself either three years of famine or three months to be swept away before your foes while the sword of your enemy over, enemies overtakes you or else three days of the sword of the Lord, even pestilence in the land and the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all the territory of Israel. Now, therefore, consider what answer I shall return to him who sent me. David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Please let me fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are very great. But do not let me fall into the hand of man. So the Lord sent a pestilence on Israel. Seventy thousand men of Israel fell. Once, once David realizes that he has done, or what he has done, and he acknowledges it, God is ready to deal with him. And he, he does so by revealing the consequences of his sin on the nation. And in his mercy, in his mercy, God allows David to choose which of the three responses that he would suffer. He can face the wrath of nature. He can face the wrath of his enemies. Or he can face the wrath of God himself. Of course, we know that all three of these are controlled by God. But what is interesting here is which one David chose and why. He chooses to be dealt with directly by God, hoping for one thing, hoping that God's mercy will be upon him. In this we see David's repentance at work in a, in a very real way. He showed that in the worst of circumstances... He was ready to trust in God. His sin had been not to trust in God. But why? By measuring his own strength, his own power that is reflected in the number of fighting men he, that he ruled. His repentance was not simply a, to suffer the consequences of his sins because, you know, that's just punishment. No, his repentance or change was this. It was to go back and trust in God again. His distrust of God led him to trust in himself. His repentance required him to return and place all of his trust in God and in God alone and once, and do this regardless of the pain that it caused on him internally and emotionally to do this. So let's face it. If you were you were in charge of a country and you lost 70,000 men, that would decimate your army. If you lost 70,000 soldiers, you would feel a little less secure in your ability to protect. He would truly have to trust in God now. Sometimes, sometimes, mistrust has to become trust. Sometimes giving in has to give way to saying no. Sometimes doing something must become a commitment to give, or rather doing nothing must become a commitment to give and serve and be responsible for change. Whatever the sin, whatever the sin, in order to move away from his grip on us, there needs to be a change concerning it. 
Otherwise, we are doomed to repeat it over and over and over again. Realization, repentance. It brings us to the third R, restitution. First Chronicles 21, verses 15 through 17. The Bible reads, And God sent an angel to Jerusalem to destroy it. But as he was about to destroy it, the Lord saw and was sorry over the calamity and said to the destroying angel, It is enough. Now relax your hand. And the angel of the Lord was standing by the threshing floor of Arnan, the Jebusite. Then David lifted up his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord standing between earth and heaven with his drawn sword in his hand and stretched out over Jerusalem. Then David and the elders, covered with sackcloth, fell on their faces. David said to God, Is it not I who commanded to count the people? Indeed, I am the one who has sinned and done very wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? O Lord my God, please let your hand be against me and my father's household, but not against your people that they should be plagued. David did not blame others for his sins. And this was very noble of him. It's very noble of him. But when you mess up, your nobility doesn't help the guy that whose life you've ruined. His nobility didn't help those 70,000 who had died. It didn't help those families who had lost those 70,000 men. You know, people died because of him. The nation became vulnerable because of his failure. David realized that there was a, a price to be paid and he, and he was not willing for others to pay that price for him. Now, a key in the moment of the rehabilitation process is when, is when you desire to pay for your mistake when I desire to pay for my mistake. When I want to do whatever it takes, when I want to do whatever it takes to make it right, that is the key moment. In David's case, in David's case, he saw that the only thing that he could and should offer was his own life. Offer his own life in exchange for the ones in danger of losing their lives. You see, David learned something here. He learned two valuable lessons right here because of all of this that was taking place. Number one, he learned this right. He learned that sin causes death. People died because of his sin. Number two, he learned that only a life given up could pay for a life ruined by sin. In other words, he learned that in this particular case, in, in the case of sin, it's a life for a life. Again, again, a noble gesture on his part. But, but, but think about this. How could one, how could his one rather sinful life atone for the sin that it caused the destruction of 70,000 men, 70,000 other lives. How could his one life atone for that? The desire, the desire to make restitution is, is so important. 
is so important in the process of rehabilitation because it humbles us. But not only that, it forces us to accept mercy. It forces us to accept grace and the knowledge that when it comes to sin, we don't have what it takes to make restitution. You know, we sing that song, he paid a debt he didn't owe. We owed a debt we couldn't pay. He couldn't make restitution on his own. It's also vitally important because it opens the door to the final step of the rehabilitation process, which takes us to the fourth R. We have the realization, we have repentance, we have restitution, and then we have restoration. Verses 18 through 27 of First Chronicles, chapter 21. The Bible reads, Then the angel of the Lord commanded Gad to say to David that David should go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arnan, the Jebusite. So David went up at the word of Gad, which he spoke in the name of the Lord. Now Arnan turned back and saw the angel, and his four sons who were with him hid themselves. And Arnan was threshing wheat. As David came to Ornan, Ornan looked and saw David and went out from the threshing floor and prostrated himself before David with his face to the ground. Then David said to Ornan, Give me the site of this threshing floor that I may build on it an altar to the Lord. For the full price you shall give it to me, that the plague may be restrained from the people. Ornan said to David, Take it for yourself and let my lord the king do what is good in his sight. See, I will give the oxen for burnt offerings and the threshing sleds for wood and the wheat for the grain offering. I will give it all. But David said to Arnan, No, but I will surely buy it for the full price, for I will not take what is yours for the Lord or offer a burnt offering which cost me nothing. So David gave Arnan 600 shekels of gold by weight for the site. Then David built an altar to the Lord there and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. And he called to the Lord and he answered him with fire from heaven on the altar of the burnt offering. The Lord commanded the angels and he put his sword back in his chair. David's attempt, David's attempt to offer himself as restitution for sin in order to save the people it did this. It showed his sincere desire to be restored to God. Now, of course, this method would not work. He was sinful, and his sacrifice, even of himself, would not be pure and acceptable. But God did something. God provided a way. He provided a way that would be possible for him to be restored. God told him, build an altar and offer a sacrifice to the Lord. Now the story of his negotiations with Arnan demonstrates the sincerity of David's faith and his desire to please God. He refused to accept the site for free and he built the altar himself. Now did the offering of the animals take away the sin? Did the burning of, of sacrifice make up for all those people who died? 
The answer to that question is no, of course not. Of course not. God merely provided a way that David could demonstrate his repentance, a way where where he could express his faith and express his trust in God, a way that he could show his obedience and do something else and receive peace of mind and a clear conscience. God provided a way. God provided a way for David to accomplish all of these things. And this, and this was no, it was no theatrical type of a piece. It was no symbolic type of a a restoration. No, it brought David into a right relationship with God. The angel put up his sword. The plague was stopped. David was permitted to go ahead and plan for the building of the temple, which his son Solomon would eventually complete. But David's rehabilitation was complete. That's the point. His rehabilitation was complete once he was restored to a right and peaceful relationship with God. And we think about the world that we live in. In the world, they say you are truly rehabilitated once your debt to society has been paid. But the whole man, we're talking about body and spirit, is not totally rehabilitated until he is at peace with God and nothing is left between them. Each and every one of us is sitting in this room. Each and every person that's not in this room that's out there in the world, each and every one of us sin. And these sins cause a breach between ourselves and God. And even if it doesn't cost it, and it does so even if it doesn't cost the death of other people. And for many of us, this is a a repeated pattern in our lives. We're doing it over and over and over and over again. You might say it's insanity. We keep doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. In order to break free, we need to follow David's example of rehabilitation from sin. Realize that what I am doing is wrong. Own up to my sin and the damage they do in my life and the possible damage that they can do in the lives of other people. Repent and make a real change. The only way to successfully repent is to decide every day, every single day, that I will not repeat that sin again. Even when we fail, we're going to say, I am not going to do this again. We just don't stay there and wallow in the failure. We get up. Number three, make restitution when I can. Deciding to make things right will show my mercy. Well, we show the mercy of God and bring me in line with God's mercy. Number four, be restored. God made a way for David in an impossible situation. And he can make a way for you and me, for each and every one of us today. Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus paid the price on the cross in order to pay the debt for all of us. Even for all of David's sins, even David's sins were washed away by the blood of Christ when Christ Jesus went to that cross many years after David's death. God opens a way for every one of us to come to him. 
not through the way of animal sacrifices and burnt offerings and peace offerings, no, but through, as we read in Hebrews, the new and living way, Jesus Christ. We come to him through the watery grave of baptism. God offers baptism in Jesus' name as a way to demonstrate our faith and repentance as a way to receive the forgiveness and the peace of mind today. This way is open to all of us right now. We can begin our spiritual rehabilitation today. Now, for those online, our contact information is on the slide. We are thankful and joyful that you join us today online. We're thankful for your presence, and we prayerfully, we prayerfully anticipate the day that you will physically join us here in the auditorium. Now, for those who are here in the auditorium, if there are any needs, would you please make them known by coming forth as we stand and sing.